Father, Lord, I just thank you for bringing all these great people out today. And Lord, I just pray you could use the things you put on my heart to stir up something in their heart. Lord, as we just go on this adventure with you, by saying, Lord, we just submit and surrender to your kingship. We raise a sail every week saying, blow into my life and take me on the adventure. Lord God, there's going to be ups and downs in that adventure, but it's going to take us to the best place. So Lord God, I just pray that you'd blow on every life in this room. And all those people said, turn to three people and say, it's going to be good. Okay, most of you who will have been here and understand the concept, I'll just very quickly just go over the concept. There is a picture of a boat on the screen right now, and this boat is called the Spirit of Adventure. It's what inspired me with this series we're doing. And what I liked about the boat, apart from the fact it's a great looking boat, it's got multiple sails. And every time a sail is raised, the wind can get into that sail and blow it faster. And the more sails that are raised, the quicker the boat's going to go and the further it's going to go. And so we're challenging ourselves with the principle that every kingdom thing that Jesus brings to us is like a sail. And we choose to raise that sail and submit to it or not. But when we choose to raise that sail, we're allowing the Holy Spirit to blow into that principle in our life and take us on a journey that we're calling the spirit of adventure. So that's where it all comes from. It's based on this verse here in John 10.10, which is another very, very famous verse. And I hope by now you've all got this. This is the seventh message in this series. John 10.10, Jesus speaking. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I, Jesus, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Have you grasped that Jesus has always wanted you to have the fullest life? Is there an amen somewhere in the building? You're allowed to talk to me this week, people. Jesus wanted you to have the fullest life, but in every occasion where there is a kingdom principle at stake, every time there will be an option. And the option will be presented by the thief, and his goal is to kill, steal, and destroy your fullness. And so we have choices every step of the way in our life. Do we submit to the king, or do we listen to another voice? And when we submit to the king, we are putting up a sail that the Holy Spirit can blow into and it will take us to the fullest life that Jesus wanted for you. Are we in agreement? Cool. That's the concept. Today's title, if you like titles, is See Him and Be Him. See Him and Be Him. And it got me thinking during this week about do we see people correctly? And how we see people, does that affect how we treat them? And it's interesting because I've got a few stories that I was reflecting on in my life. As I sort of came down the ladder in my football career, I I finished playing at at Sudbury, which is half half an hour up the road. And they're a great club, lower level club than I was playing at before. But they're well run. They've got a good team. and, And it was just a great sort of finishing place for my career and had a great gang of lads and we went out and hung out together and we were a good team. We were up there in the league and competing in all the cups. It was a good place to be. But in all the lower level clubs, they rely on volunteers and there's always local people who are willing to come and dig the pitch and and run the bar and be the stewards and all those kind of things. Got hair in my mouth. And all those kind of things. And, and, and Sudbury was no different. And we had this guy who came and every week he served, he'd dig the pitch, he'd seed it. Anything you wanted him to do, he would do. He was just up for it. But he was really quite a scruffy looking man. He looked like he hadn't washed for a couple of weeks. He didn't bother brushing his hair. He was unshaven. He was generally looked a bit dirty. And so we called, called him Wurzel. Anyone know Wurzel Gummish, the scarecrow? Yeah, yeah. Because obviously the football was quite unkind. And, uh, but so we are oh, Wurzel, Wurzel. But he actually loved the banter. 
And uh, we go, oh, look, old Wurzel, Wurzel's digging the pitch. Look at him, could do with a wash, old Wurzel. All that kind of stuff was going on amongst us. All the footballers were like, Ooh. <laughs> There's one at every club. Anyway, um, later into that season, the club, we were doing very well and we were trying to get promoted into the next league. But to go into the next league, we had to have a better stand and a better clubhouse. And, and the, they, they ran the costings, and it was going to cost over a million pounds to build this stand and the clubhouse. And they were like, okay, let's start doing some fundraising. Wurzel crops up, and he says, I'll pay for it. Wurzel was worth 50 million. <laughs> and, and you can go, if you go onto Subra Athletic today and look on their website, it's there. And he paid for it on his own, outright, no mortgage, he had the cash. Were we seeing incorrectly? Old Wurzel suddenly wasn't, oh, look at old Wurzel anymore. It's like, Wurzel's quality. Wurzel's the best thing ever. The thing is, we started to treat him differently, but he actually didn't want to be treated differently. He loved the banter. He loved to be part of it, but there was very definitely a new respect on our part. You see, we'd seen him incorrectly all along. How many people have seen people incorrectly in your life? How many of you have been seen incorrectly? That people look at you and treat you a certain way. Do you, do you know, that's not who I am. But we do it all the time. You know, I, I played at Dagenham, and, and that was a, a much higher level. And uh, we would go out clubbing with the, with the team after, after games, and uh, we'd get the VIP treatment. They'd allow us to the front of the queue. They'd rope off an area for us. We'd get free drinks in some places. You know, I was careful how far I go, but women used to come up and buy us drinks because we were the footballers. No, at Dagenham, it was, it was out there, some of the things that we could experience. But we weren't Manchester United or Bayern Munich. We were Dagenham and Redbridge. But nevertheless, people treated us a certain way. Did we deserve that? No. We were just a bunch of Herberts who were reasonable at football. But they treat you a certain way. They perceive you a certain way. And I want to say that's wrong. You know, we can all have an opinion on the football world right now, but they get treated a certain way and looked at a certain way. And we've got to decide, is that right? But it leads to this question, which I believe is the biggest question you're ever going to answer in your whole life. How do you see Jesus? And based on how you see Jesus, how do you treat Jesus? And it comes from this question that he asked his own disciples here in Matthew 18, uh, 16. And it says this in verses 13 through 20. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Who do men say that I, I the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? That is a great question of Jesus right there. Do you know the question's never changed? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. I love this. You see, he said to them, who do you say I am? And notice that Jesus is looking for a personal revelation from every individual. It's not, who did your mum say I am? Who did your dad say I am? Who did your grandparents say I am? Who did your best mate say I am? It's, who do you say I am? And when you make a decision on who Jesus is, it changes how you treat him. 
But I love this. When you get a fresh revelation of Jesus, he can build on it. On this revelation. He is not building the church on Peter. He is building the church on the revelation that Peter had of who Jesus was. And so when you get a revelation of Jesus, he can build on that. And he is looking for people to understand who he is and see him clearly so that he can build on us. The great thing is, first of all, he builds in us. He does what he needs to do here. So he builds in us and then builds on us. And there is a unique bunch of people walking the planet today that have the ability to touch heaven and earth at the same time. And it is the people who see Jesus clearly. We get this opportunity to touch heaven and earth all at the same time. The reality is, if we could see Jesus clearly, our neighborhood could never be the same. I wonder whether we're seeing him clearly or seeing him in part. And I believe part of this journey we're on in this year as a church, guys, is that we could see Jesus more clearly. That we could open our eyes. And he said, Peter, you didn't see this by natural eyes. Your father in heaven revealed this to you. So maybe today is a day you'll get a fresh revelation from the throne room to see Jesus in a new way. Is there an amen in the house? Turn to two, three people and say, open your eyes. We find Jesus in all kinds of scenarios. And he demonstrates all kinds of facets to who he is. We find the woman who was caught in adultery. And what she needed Jesus to be in that moment was the one who would forgive her. Anyone been in that position where you just need Jesus to be your forgiver? You know, you don't have to raise your hands if you don't want to, but Ian, you can put yours down. Thanks, mate. And... Um, Yes, you see, there was all kinds of people that we saw on multiple occasions that people were physically hungry. They were starving. And Jesus was their provision. They saw that. You see, that you had the time when Nicodemus the Pharisee came to Jesus and asked him very difficult questions because he needed wisdom and an understanding. And Jesus was that to him. You see all these facets in Jesus. You have the rich young man who... On the face of it has everything and says, how must I be saved? He needs Jesus to be his saviour. And Jesus was all of these things. The question you find then is, when Jesus meets that need and that need no longer exists, do we then not need Jesus? And I wonder how many people come to Jesus with a need and he meets that need and then you say, say cheers Jesus, and we do something else. But wonder whether we could actually see Jesus for who he is because he is all of those things for you all of the time. And we all have a need at some point in our life. And when you're engaged with Jesus and see him clearly, it is his desire to take you into fullness. And so he can be all of those things all of the time to all of us because he's God. But the trouble is, do we see that? Or do we just see our little need? And when he meets our little need, we go, cheers, Jesus. Now I can get on with my little life. We've had it time and time again in our church life. We've had people come into our church with, with sickness, cancer even. And they've come and they've come week after week after week after week and they've clapped and they've sung and they've prayed and they've put prayer requests in and then they go and get their cancer report and the cancer report says clear. Never see them again. Because Jesus met them in their need for healing and that's all they were looking for. It's all they could see. But if they could see that he was the one who actually is the lover of their soul, if they could see he is the one that wants to take them on a journey into fullness and could open their eyes and say, yes, I'm the healer, but I'm much more than that, then we would treat him differently. It couldn't be a case of thanks for that, Jesus, now I'm off. That is disregarding him. And he is looking for a bunch of people who will revere him as God because he wants all of those things for you 
all of the time on every occasion. Let's have a look at one example here then. You'll see lots of different people in this story um, in Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. <coughs> uh, again, Jesus entered Capernaum after some days and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together. How about church? God turns up, Jesus turns up so well in the house that people have to gather. You know, when we see Jesus correctly, I believe we're going to have to have three or four services because people are going to say, he's in the house. I need healing, I need help, I need provision, I need a revelation, I need a touch, I need peace in my life, I need something, and I know I'm going to find it in the house, because Jesus is there. That's our responsibility to usher that presence in. Uh, immediately many gathered together there, so there was no longer room to receive them. Come on, church, I love that. Not even near the door. Hello. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic man was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went, on the, uh, went in the presence of them all, so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Now picture the different people in this story. And maybe, just maybe, you'll find yourself in there. You see, there is Jesus himself. Now that's not you. There is Jesus himself. Although you do carry the presence of Jesus. In the house. And there's a crowd gathering. How many know that when there's a phenomenon in town, people are interested? And they gather around and they're looking, thinking, what's going to happen here? I'm interested. I've heard stories about him. I want to see it for myself. Anyone ever want to see something for yourself? And so they gather around. But then there's these guys who's, who's got a friend and, and he's paralyzed. And they are desperate. And I know that Sarah Jane gave a great message on desperation last week. And they were desperate, but they had faith. They believed Jesus could do it. And so they would do anything it took to get him there. How do you know the person whose house that was wasn't best chuffed when they broke his roof in? <laughs> but they didn't care about best chuffed, man. They cared more about their friend meeting Jesus than the roof. And sometimes, guys, we've got to push past material things and get in front of Jesus. And so they lowered him down. And so now this guy is presented to Jesus. And Jesus... Being Jesus, looked at him and said, wow, your faith is stirring something on me. How would you be? If you were in that room, what position would you sit in? Would you be someone full of faith going, Jesus is going to do this now. We're going to see something. Would you be someone standing going, this is interesting. Let's see how this pans out. Would you be the person reasoning in your heart why this is wrong? Can't believe they broke the roof down. What a disgrace. Can't believe Jesus is going to heal him. What do you mean forgiveness? Who do you think you are? See, I believe the Pharisees had one of the biggest issues that we still wrestle with today. 
That if Jesus is who he said he is, it would shake up their entire world. And they were comfortable in their entire world and didn't want it to be shaken up. So therefore they resisted with everything they had. And their resistance was through religion and the law and what had happened previously. But Jesus came in and blew that out of the water and just did some stuff. How many of us have a little world that we're quite comfortable with? And we look at the Pharisees and say, that wouldn't be me. I wouldn't be the Pharisees. But then Jesus drops a little bomb in your world and says, I want you to go to two services on a Sunday. Oh, no, not two services, Jesus. I'll do one. Well, no, no, no. I want you to press into me. I want you to go and speak to your neighbor and take them some food because I know they've been struggling this week. Well, that's a bit embarrassing to knock on their door and go, I've got some food for you. That's not what you did before. But it shakes up your world. And the reality is we look at the Pharisees and say, that's not me. But we struggle with the same issue because we're comfortable in our little lives. And Jesus doesn't want us comfortable in our little lives. He wants to shake it all up because someone's going to get up. And he wants you to do it. I love the whole idea that the paralytic man, he gets up and takes up his mat. The mat is what had carried him all his life. And suddenly he was in a position because of Jesus to take a hold of the thing that was holding him and walked out saying, glory to God. I believe there's people all across churches and across our town that are held by disease, that are held by sickness, that are held by addiction, that are held by past hurts. They are held by them and they don't realize it, but they're paralyzed. They're not physically walking around, not able to move their limbs, but in here they cannot be the person they're called to be. But when you meet Jesus, he gives you the ability to take a hold of that and say, you're not holding any me anymore, I'm holding you. And then you can walk freely. When you meet Jesus, you walk into fullness. But I wonder where you see yourself in this journey. And are you seeing yourself correctly? Because I wonder whether God's challenging his church to say, I want you to see yourself correctly so you can see me correctly. And therefore, everything will step into fullness. The great thing is, is that Jesus loved them all. He didn't answer the Pharisees out of hatred for them and disgust of them. He answered them because he wanted them to get a revelation. He loved them. He loved everyone in that room. He loved the guys that lowered their friend. He loved the paralytic man. He loved the disciples. What were the disciples doing in that moment? Were they trying to protect Jesus, getting a bit crowded in here? But he loved people. And he says, I'm going to bring heaven to earth. And the great thing is, church, we now get to do the same thing. We get to bring heaven to earth. See, I want to say to you that he's the lover of your soul. I want to say to you that he is the peace in the middle of your storm. I want to say to you that he's your strong tower when you're in the battle. I want to say to you he's your provision when you can't see any provision. I want to say to you he's your health and wholeness when you feel broken. I want to say to you, he's God's love letter to you from heaven saying, hey, I've made my mind up on you. I love you and I'll demonstrate it. This is my Jesus. And I don't know if I'm putting this across very well, but he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And he wants you to see that correctly. He's not just a healer. He's not just a provider. He's all of those things all at the same time. And so as you go through the journey of your life and find yourself in all different situations, if you see him correctly, he is always the answer. And when your heart beats for him, he never says that you won't have a dip, but he always says, I'll be there in the dip. And you know what? I'd rather be in a dip with Jesus than on a high without him. 
And God loves you so much that we need to see his son correctly. Turn to someone you haven't spoken to yet and say, see Jesus correctly. Here's another story, and I believe you'll see yourself in this story too. We find it in Mark 8. Before, I just need to set the scene. Uh, Here in, in Matthew 11, verses 21, it says this. This is Jesus speaking. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. See, I'm going to look at um, Bethsaida in a moment. And Bethsaida is basically a place where Jesus fed the, five, fed the multitude. He fed them there, so they saw an amazing miracle. Who, how many of you think... If you saw some kid come up with a few loaves and fishes and suddenly saw thousands of people fed by them, that would stir something in your faith. Give me a wave if that was you. Not many. <laughs> if I saw that, I'd be like, wow, something is going off here. But Bethsaida didn't. You see, we're going to look at a healed man in a minute, and that was done in Bethsaida too. And Jesus was saying, if other towns that you looked down on had seen these miracles, they would have shifted something. But you're a place so full of doubt, so anti-faith, so resistant, woe to you. Bethsaida is where this is about to happen here in, in, in Mark. We've got the next verse, Marion. Mark 8, verses 22 to 26. They came to Bethsaida, the place I've just described to you. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he, when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? I'm not sure we'll do that one in church. He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home and said, don't even go in to the village. I believe we see in this passage, Jesus touched the man three times. And I believe you're going to see yourself somewhere on this journey. You see, this guy has got an issue in his life. He's blind, he can't see. Maybe you're not blind, but maybe you've got something going on in your world right now. And if it's not you, I bet you've got a friend, a family member, a colleague, someone you care about who's got some stuff going on. Maybe it's not you. Maybe you're the person leading someone to Jesus. But the first touch that Jesus gives to this guy is to lead him out of the village. You see, the village Bethsaida, we've just discussed it. It's a place of doubt. It's a place of resistance. So Jesus says, I'm not going to be able to do this there. I need to get you out of the place of doubt and into a place of faith. And the first touch Jesus wants for anyone is a touch of faith. Because then you can believe some stuff. And we all think to ourselves, oh, you know, that's not where I would be. But I want to say to you, when you're at college and university... You're living in a place of doubt. When you're in the workplace, you're almost certainly living in a place of doubt. When you're chatting to your neighbours, you're probably living in a place of doubt. Now, of course, you need to live in those places, but you need to live in those places as someone who is full of faith and representing heaven in those places, not someone who's been affected by those places. Our call always is to be the influencers and not the influencees. We bring heaven to earth. But the reality is, by living in those places, it does have a little bit of an effect. And that is why church is so important. 
Because you've been in the place of study. You've been in the place of work. And everything you stand for all week long has been challenged and questioned and doubt focused on it. But you come into the house of God and faith stirs back up in you and you say, no, 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 this is real. And you go back there and you live it differently. The gathering is so important because we sharpen each other. It's so, so important. So Jesus' first touch is to get the man into a place of faith and away from a place of doubt. The second touch, which was a spit and a smear in the eye, which, you know, but it's the way Jesus did it. I wonder whether Jesus did that just to say, I, I could, it doesn't matter how you do it, I could do it any old way. But this way, just to show you, I'm going to spit in your eye. For a laugh. And he spits in his eye and he rubs his eye. The second touch of Jesus was to touch his eye and say to him, what do you see? And what did he see? He saw men walking around like trees. You see, he had an improvement, but it wasn't clear yet. But I love this. He got a revelation. And I'm stealing this off T.D. Jakes, if there's any T.D. Jakes fans in the building. One of my favorites. He said this. The disciples saw Jesus clearly. You are the Christ. They saw the man. But they never, ever understood the need for the crucifixion. They didn't understand the tree. You see, they saw the man, but couldn't see the tree. And so when Jesus went to the cross, they were shocked. They weren't prepared for it at all. They hadn't seen that. But this guy saw the tree and not the man. And I believe God gave him a revelation of something he didn't yet understand, but he was going to walk into. And I wonder sometimes whether actually the second touch we get of Jesus, we don't see everything clearly, but we get a touch from heaven, which gives us a revelation in our heart and opens our eyes a little bit. And maybe that's where you're living today. That you know there's something in this. You can't work it all out yet, but you know there's something. It's enough to keep you looking. Bless you if you're in that situation. Keep looking. Because Jesus wants you to have your personal revelation. He doesn't want you to have my revelation. He wants you to have your revelation. And so you go on your journey, but I encourage you and exhort you, keep looking. Because he's going to touch you a third time. And you see, the third time he touches him, he says, what do you see? And he says, I see clearly. And I wonder how many people in the room are now seeing Jesus clearly. Having been in church for X amount of years, lived a life of faith, gone through your ups and downs, and like, yes, I get this stuff. But then there's that exhortation of Jesus. Now you see clearly, don't go back to the village. Don't go back to the place of doubt because the place of doubt still exists. It's always going to be there. But you're seeing me clearly, so don't go back there. How many people have got a friend who have been in church and praised God and prayed and seen breakthrough and had a whole lot of stuff and three years down the line they're back in the world? Because the world's still there and it's still attractive. Let's not pretend the world isn't attractive. It so is. But we need to make the kingdom so much more attractive because it's the place of fullness. The world isn't the place of fullness. It's always, always, always momentary pleasure. Always. And yet, one moment with the king changes everything. One moment in your presence is worth a thousand elsewhere. You know, when you're with Jesus and you see him for who he is, he is your provider. He is your health. He is the lover of your soul. He is your hope. He is your gate into heaven. He is all of those things all of the time. And when you see that clearly, there can be nothing better. But we had this dilemma of, is that what we see? Do we see Jesus clearly? Do you see Jesus clearly? How do you see him? You see, he is looking for a people he can build up 
and then build on. I believe God is looking down, crying out to humanity, saying, churches need to be fuller. Churches need to be full of passionate people chasing after my son. But the reality is we are drifting along, part seeing, part having revelation, knowing it's right, but kind of not being a bit half-hearted. And God is saying, come on, see it clearly. Don't keep going back to that place of doubt. Shift something in your heart where you live in a place of faith. And when you live in a place of faith, all the things you've hoped for will come your way. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else is coming anyway. But we have this wrestle where we kind of believe that and half live that. It's almost like so many of us are living under that second touch of Jesus, part seeing, having a revelation, but not seeing it clearly. And God is saying, come on, church, see it clearly. You know, we call ourselves Christians, which means like Christ. So if Jesus, the Christ, was the healer, we are to be like Christ. We need to be the healer because we carry the Spirit of God in us. If Jesus is the provider, we need to be the provider because we carry the Spirit of Jesus in us. If Jesus is the gateway to heaven, we need to be the people who open the eyes to see they need Jesus to get into heaven. We need all of these things in us because we are Christians. Sometimes I think we call ourselves Christians and it's almost like a negative Christians should be the most exciting, outrageous, joyful, sticking it in your face people on the planet. But I believe we're living in this place under touch number two. And God is saying, could I give you touch number three? Could you see it more clearly? Because I've always wanted fullness your way. I've always wanted you to live it out to the full because you're outrageous. You're only ever going to be that person when you're properly connected to the source. You see, you can't have one touch from Jesus three years ago at a Christian camp you went to and you remember it and then expect to be the healer, the provider, and the help. You need a touch from Jesus every day. And when you chase after him every day and get desperate every day, you are able to be all those things for other people. And while you're doing that, he will be those things for you. And it's this great circle of life that God always wanted where he touches you and you touch others and then he touches you and you touch others and heaven comes to earth. Why? Because those who see Jesus clearly can touch heaven and earth at the same time. He said so. And it's our goal to do that. But we can't do that if we're not seeing clearly. And I want to encourage you, church. Dig deep. Get desperate. Chase after him. Be the one who engages with him properly and consistently so that you can see it all differently. It will bless your life, but it will also bless someone else's life. It's more than you at stake here. If we see Jesus in part, does that affect how we treat Jesus? And if we see Jesus clearly, does that affect how we treat Jesus? And you can answer those questions in various ways. And one of the ways I challenge myself is, what's the first thought you have when you wake up in the morning? Not trying to think, oh, what should I think of? The first thought. And so often in my life, and I don't just say this to be some super spiritual pastor guy, is when I wake up in the morning, the first thing that comes to my head is, thank you, Jesus. Genuinely, that's what happens in my life. I guess I've lived in such a way that it's just become my norm, that my first thought when I open my eyes is Jesus. And then I look over and see Sarah and go, praise the Lord. (laughs) I am blessed. And so she. But I love that concept that when you're seeing Jesus clearly and living like that, when I put my feet down out of my bed in the morning, all of hell goes, oh, no, he's up. Because I carry the spirit of Jesus. 
And therefore, I have the ability to be the healer, to be the help, to be the provision, because he lives in me. I can touch heaven and earth all at the same time. And when I get up, heaven wants to watch out. And hell wants to watch out some more. I believe heaven is cheering you on, even listening to this message. I pray something is stirring in you, that you're saying, that's the person I want to be. I want to see him and be him. I want to be that kind of person so the world cannot be the same because I live here. Just one last passage here in 1 John 3, 2, which backs up everything I've said. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. You see, here's the thing. The day will come. Whether it be in the rapture, whether it be that you pass away before then and you meet Jesus, you are actually going to come face to face with him. You will see him as he is. And then you're going to be like him. But Jesus is saying, you can have that now. See me as I am now and you can be like me now. And that's what I've always wanted my church to look like. You have epicness on the inside of you. But do you see it clearly? Or are you seeing in part? Or are you living in the place of doubt? Or is someone still holding your hand and taking you to Jesus? Have you seen Jesus for the first time? I don't know where you're living, but I know this. Jesus wants you to see him clearly. Because there's a mandate on your life that this world needs to see now. Don't wait to the point where you stand in front of Jesus and go, Oh, that's it. That's what I've been looking for. He's here now. This morning, right now, in this room, living in me, living in the person next to you, Jesus is here now. And we get to experience that. And therefore, the world can't be the same. Some people in this room need the first touch. They need to genuinely be led away from the place of doubt and into a place of faith. Not just saying, oh yeah, I suppose it's right, but having a revelation in here that I want to live in faith. Some people need a spit in the eye. Some people need to have it washed away so that you get a revelation and you begin to see it. You may not get everything, but something's going on on the inside of you that says, this is starting to make sense to me. Some people are living there but need that third touch that says, "Uh, I get it, kind of, and it's making sense, but I've not seen it clearly yet. Well, Jesus is here this morning, and he wants you to get another revelation and see him clearly. Because it will change everything. And there will be some of you who are living in that space. Who do see Jesus clearly. But there's always this tug back. And at some point we've got to make a choice. To say I'm never going back there. And you see it clearly. And you live in a place of faith. And you start being Jesus for other people. Are you hearing what God's saying to you? Is something stirring in you? You see I believe at our next sale is to see him clearly and never go back. And therefore raise it up and say, Jesus, I'm just going to be you for other people in my world. My neighbor, my friend, my family member, my colleague, my study partner. I see you so clearly that they must see you in me. And it can't be the same because I'm there. Is there an amen in the house? Can I get you to stand? I'd love to pray with you. Let me just invite you to close your eyes. I just find that works best in our environment. It's not some magic formula, but it's just helpful. Take your moment with the King.
where do you see yourself in the passages we've read this morning? Are you someone who's wrestling with it all and fighting against it because you know, you know, you know that if you agree with this stuff, it's going to rock your world? Change is coming. Are you someone who's just checking it all out and watching other people have an experience? Are you that person paralyzed in life, struggling and reaching out to Jesus saying, help me? Are you the people lowering someone to Jesus and just leading them to get their own revelation? Are you someone on that journey getting various touches from Jesus and moving on closer to him? I don't know where you stand, but I believe you stand somewhere in these pictures. So Holy Spirit, I pray you'd come right now and move amongst your people. Jesus. Is there someone here today who actually wants to make a firm decision that Jesus is my Lord? That you've been up and down with it, a bit flaky with it, half seeing it, half not seeing it, half agreeing with it. But today's the day you say, Jesus, I make a firm decision that you are my God. I'm following you. Just whenever I close, is there anyone who says, yeah, that's me? Give me a wave. I'm going to pray with you. Bless you there. Bless you at the back there. It's awesome. We've got two people I can see. Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hands down. Let's pray this prayer together because this is always an amazing moment between heaven and earth. Father God, thank you for loving me. I choose, I decide that you are God and I accept you to come and live in my heart and I follow you all the days of my life. And all God's people said, let's just stay in the zone, let's just stay in the zone. If you're someone today who feels like, yes, I'm on this journey and I want to just say, Lord, take me the next step. I want to see you better. I want to make better choices. I want to actually be you in the situations I find myself in. I want to trust you more. Wherever you see yourself, if that's you saying, yeah, I want more of you, just raise both hands in the air. Uh, I'm expecting most people. Who wants a bit more? Who wants to go a bit deeper? Who wants to go a bit closer? Who wants to go a bit further? Who wants to see it better? If that's you, let's just get our hands up and say, we submit. We submit to you, Jesus. Lord, you see your church. You are God's church. You're his A plan. It's you. Be encouraged. All of heaven is dancing this morning that the church wants to move forward. You're amazing. Be encouraged. Lord God, you see the hands. You see the hearts. And I pray, Lord God, you would take every single individual here by the hand and lead us out of the place of doubt. And you'd touch our eyes that we could see you better. I pray, Lord God, that you could do something in our hearts that we would never go back to a place of doubt, but go deeper into faith. I pray, Lord God, that we could see you so clearly that we could be you for other people. That your church would at last stand up and be the church you've called us to be. So I speak a blessing on everyone here. Lord, I know that every time there is a spiritual principle up for grabs, there's also a thief. I challenge you, church, make a decision right now that you reject the thief. The thief is in your life. Someone will say something 
An incident will happen. Something will come and challenge what's going on this morning. But you need to see it clearly and reject it. And get your eyes back on Jesus and see him better. The thief comes to kill, steal and destroy. But Jesus came to lead you into fullness. Step into that fullness. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You can just put your hands down because your shoulders are probably aching by now. Lord, I pray you'd seal in what you're doing in your church this morning. I pray you'd let us be mindful of each other and encourage each other. Give each other a call, a text, an email to say, how's your week going? I'm cheering you on. Stay in that place of faith. Are you seeing him better? Encourage each other. Let's be a family. Families do that. Let's celebrate the testimonies in our life. But let's be the church God's looking for so that our location can't stay the same. And all God's people said...